She's a freelance presenter and reporter who has worked for the likes of Sky, BBC and ITV. Here's episode four of Rich's Sports Media Show with Francis Donovan. Francis. Hi Richard, how are you? I'm all good, thanks, how are you? Yeah, not too bad at all, thanks very much indeed, yeah. You've worked for the likes of ITV, BBC, Premier League Productions as a presenter and reporter. Could you tell us a little bit more about yourself, please? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I started out um, training, I always wanted to be a journalist, and um, went down the sort of the normal avenue of, of um, news and sport, uh, news and current affairs. But um, I come from a sports mad family. I've got three sports mad brothers and sports mad fathers. <laughs> it was a case of that was an avenue I was, I was probably going to head in. And um, yeah, just uh, just started working primarily for the BBC to start off with, and then uh, it, it sort of um, it spread out to working for others as well. And I, I was just very lucky; I was in the right place at the right time, really, with um, particularly with BBC Wales. The the time that I wanted to start doing some sport, they um, they were looking really to, to develop a, a female presenter. So um, it was it was great timing. The uh, the serendipity just worked. <laughs> You mentioned growing up in a sport-mad house, essentially. So you were introduced to sport at a pretty young age. Yeah, my father, we were all Cardiff City fans. And um, my father took me onto the Bob Bank in the Old Ninian Park for the first time when I was, I think I was five and a half, six. So we were all indoctrinated from a very, very early age. But no, we're, we're all fans. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it, my father's absolutely an, an absolute sport nut. And, um, you know, sport was very, very prevalent in our household. Um, and then the school I went to, I went to um, school in Monmouth, and that was a very sort of sports-oriented school as well. So it was sort of very much part of the, the DNA and, and, and my upbringing, really. Um, but, you know, good job, I like it. <laughs> you know what they always say, Richard, it's the people, who, the people who can do it, do it. The people who can't do it, talk about it. And I fall into the latter category. Well, you certainly seem to be an expert by the looks of things from what I've seen anyway. I read that you studied English and history at University College Cardiff and then earned a postgraduate diploma in broadcast journalism in, in Bristol. Was it during your university time that you realised you wanted to go down the, well, the broadcasting route? Well, journalism, generally, I, I knew from when I was about 14 that um, journalism was an, an avenue I wanted to pursue because um, I edited the school magazine and things like that and I was always scribbling bits and pieces. Um, I mean, the broadcasting route, my aunt worked, actually, enough, worked um, within BBC Wales at one point, and I was always fascinated by what she was doing. Um, and yeah, it was, it was an avenue that sort of I wanted to pursue with that. I mean, when I, when I did my postgrad um, course, it was predominantly sort of geared towards radio, which was, which was lovely. I mean, it was such a sort of a, a great medium to work in and the sort of freedom to, to, I don't know, just be able to be more flexible about the way you do things. Um, but funnily enough, my first main job was, was, was in TV. Um, I was, uh, I was approached by what was then HTV West in Bristol because uh, I'd been doing some work experience with them um, sort of a couple of years prior to that and, and they were looking for a, a couple of young reporters because they had a sort of a more experienced reporting team and they wanted to bring on a couple of new reporters so um, they, um, I went down there for a screen test and, and they gave me a job in their infinite wisdom so um, you know I think that sort of you know I fell into it almost but um, you know I, I knew broadcasting was the avenue I really wanted to, to pursue because um, you know, it's just a, an area that was exciting and it was really opening up at the particular point in time and, you know, sort of starting to, to develop into sort of the digital channels and that sort of thing. So it was a very exciting time to be part of it. That, that's brilliant. You got that opportunity pretty quick by the signs of things. Had you had, had you had much work experience previous with any other broadcasters or anything? Or I, Well, I, I, during, when I was at uh, uni in Cardiff, I, I'd done some work experience with Radio Wales, BBC Radio Wales, which was great. And then when I, uh, I think it was my third year at university, then I started doing some, um, I, w I went along to HGV in Bristol for what was supposed to be just a day looking around, but I made a complete nuisance of myself and ended up staying for three months uh, before they had to very politely say to me, well, you know, you've done your work experience now, we need to sort of, um, you need to go off and get some qualifications. So I went there and did my, my post-grad course. Um, and I actually then, I started doing some freelance work for, Seven Sound Radio in Gloucester, uh, and I was there for about three months. But that was when the call from from HTV West came in. So it was just, it was the old cliche, Richard, right place at the right time. But it did work out that way for me. Um, I mean, I was so green. I knew absolutely nothing about telly. I knew very little about radio. <laughs> I knew nothing about telly. Um, but they were very good. I mean, they, for the first month, they just sort of put me out with camera crews and editors and whatever to sort of learn the trade. I can remember doing my very first piece of camera and. and 
rehearsing it and rehearsing it and rehearsing it again, gotta get this right, gotta get this right, gotta get and you put so much pressure on yourself. Um but you know, they they were great and it was a time when there were a lot more there was a lot more flexibility. You you didn't have quite as many programmes that you had to um had to service, you know, the news um, at lunchtime and then the news program in the evening. So you had more chance to sort of play around and learn and, and, and you know, to spread your wings a little bit. Um, these days, I mean, you have to have to do sort of 24-hour news on the TV, on the radio, or, you know, online, obviously podcasts, all that sort of stuff. So there's a lot more pressure these days. And that work experience as well. How important is it to do free work essentially when trying to break into the industry? Because you can't just walk in and get paid, can you? Absolutely not. I, I think it's absolutely crucial for a number of reasons. A, you, know, you start to get an idea of what the industry is actually about because, you know, it's not for everybody. I mean, it's a brilliant industry to work in and I absolutely love it. And I can honestly say in what, 25 years of working now, I've, I've never had that Monday morning feeling. But, it, you know, it, you work antisocial hours, you have to travel all over the place. It's not for everybody. You know, if you want a, a, a life that's got a bit of routine to it, I don't think necessarily it's the avenue that, that you would want to pursue. But so it gives you an insight and work experience. But what is really crucial as well is it shows potential employers in the future that you really are serious about it because there are a lot of people who want to do it. Um, and, you know, you can do all the sort of courses under the sun, but what they really want to do is find out the person who's prepared to go the extra mile. So although it can be, you know, a little bit sort of frustrating that you're working for them because essentially I was doing stuff for them, um, and not getting paid for it. I, I had a bar job in the evening because I used to, to keep myself going. But it is absolutely crucial because, and it worked out really well for me because I've done that work experience with them. When they sort of said to me, well, that's, you know, perhaps you better leave it there. And I was, I was really disappointed because I thought maybe this is my avenue in. But, you know, as I said, went and did my course, went and did the couple of months, seven Sunday Gloucester, and then they gave me a call and they gave me a call because they remembered me from, from previously from doing the work experience. And, they said she obviously is very keen on this. She's prepared to put the, the hard graft in. So I can honestly say I, I, I do think it's absolutely essential that people do it because nobody knows you when you first start out. They don't know whether you're capable of doing it or not. You can talk a great game, but you've got to be able to do it. Um, and, you know, you've got to have the sort of attitude, yeah, I am prepared to learn. I am prepared to go in and, and you know, maybe rough it a bit or, or, you know, not be, you know, you're not going to walk, as you say, you're not going to walk straight into a, you know, reporter's job or a, um, a producer's job or a presenter's job straight away that, that just doesn't happen uh, but it just sorts you out sort of from from the others who might be saying well they want to do it but aren't prepared to put the, the hard graft in and making that nuisance of yourself as you said on on work experience you obviously need confidence you need to back yourself as well there's not much point in going on work experience and really not trying to make that impact is there no absolutely not i mean you'll go in for the first you know i suppose first week when I was at HTV I was um, just observing I was shadowing people but you know you have to get to a stage it's, it's getting that balance right between backing yourself but not being too cocky because what nobody really wants is somebody in the newsroom who's saying that they could do the job and you know give me this chance and whatever when you're trying to run a busy newsroom or a busy sports department but it's getting that fine line between backing yourself and, and, and not being sort of you know not being a pain in the back of the side and people thinking well this person's just you know super cocky and you know can they actually do anything? So yeah, it's, it's being respectful, but it's also then, you know, I, I just used to do things like go to the various reporters and producers and say, even stupid things like, you know, can I go and get you a cup of coffee or can I do this? Or would you mind if I sit in and watch this? And I also didn't just speak to the reporters and the presenters. I went and spent time with the cameramen and the sound men and the film editors because they're all such a crucial part of putting sort of TV together. Um, and obviously on the radio side of things, talking to producers and the sound people there as well and you learn so much from everybody it's not just one area that you learn from you, you, you get a real rounded picture of it but yeah you've got to be prepared to back yourself and say yeah you know I, I people might not necessarily want me around they're busy they want to get on with what they're doing they don't necessarily want to have to babysit somebody but as far as possible you try and make it that they're not babysitting you that you actually do make yourself a little bit useful um, and don't be afraid to ask questions but just also sort of Gauge the room, gauge the room. I mean, if it's getting towards, say, a six o'clock programme, don't suddenly start asking the producer lots of questions because he'll be, he or she will be desperate to get the programme on the air. So it's pick your moments as well. And, and there's a time to ask questions, a time to shut up. Um, you know, ask to sit in the back of the gallery, but be very respectful and don't say anything in there. You know, when the, the director is directing the programme, 
getting that sort of balance right, but absolutely you've got to back yourself with it. Otherwise, what's going to make you stand out from, you know, the, the 25, 30 other people who are all sort of jockeying to do the same thing? And I suppose that all comes into networking as well, making yourself known, trying to get your name around everywhere, essentially. And networking is just a huge part in this industry. Of course it is. I mean, you know, what they say, I mean, we were from a very early stage sort of told, you know, to start developing your contacts book, you know, get your, I mean, at that stage, makes me sound really old, doesn't it? But it was contacts book then rather than putting it on your phone. But, you know, you drive everybody's names down. And if I was out shadowing a reporter on a story, obviously I wouldn't get in the way. But, you know, if I noticed that sort of particularly an interviewee or um, maybe like a, a police inspector or something like that was just waiting to, to go on or something like that, I might go and approach them and just sort of say, hello, you know, so I'm, I'm Francis Donovan, you know, I'm, I'm looking to develop a career in this, I just wanted to say hello, introduce myself. And, you know, the more polite and pleasant you are, and as I said, that, that sort of um, developing that knack of sort of gauging the room and reading the room and reading the situation that you don't make nuisance of yourself but yeah absolutely get out smile be nice to people talk to people take people's numbers if they're prepared to give them to you um because that is the way particularly if you are pleasant and polite you never know that's that somebody might say further down the line oh you know there was there was a young girl out with um or a young lad out with a particular reporter um they had a nice attitude towards things why don't you give them a go or you know why don't we use them or ask them to do something there's no doubt about it. I mean, working in this industry is about networking, and even more so in sport, it's crucial in sport because um, you know it's such a big arena, and people love the theatre of it. And you know, you want to be adding a little bit of something extra every time. So the wider you can make your network and your contacts there, the, the better they are. But always be respectful. And you mentioned the contacts book as well. This is obviously an ever-changing industry. How much has it changed since you first started out? Oh, huge amount. I mean, when I first got, I, it's, this is making me sound like I'm as old as, you know, old as God or something. Um, when I first started out, when I was working in news, I mean, we would go out filming and we'd have a cameraman, a sound man, um, a spark, which is an electrician who would be sorting out the lights, and it would be myself and sometimes the producer. Um, and then that, you know, over the years, I saw it sort of whittle away a little bit, so we lost our spark. We lost our sound man, so the cameraman was doing the, the camera work and the sound. Um, and obviously it's got to the stage now where an awful lot of reporters are out there filming their own material and, and you know, there is no cameraman or sound man and a lot of them are editing on laptops. So the technology is, has changed it completely. Um, you know, it makes you feel sometimes as though you're a real sort of old Luddite when uh, you sort of think, knows what they're doing these days. But um, yeah, it, it has changed hugely and, and obviously with the advent of digital media, social media, you know, the platforms are different now. It was always we worked towards in the very beginning a lunchtime program and then an evening program. Now you're you're creating stuff all the time. But the, the plus side of that I think is it makes it's made the industry even more exciting. Um, because you know you are sort of having to think on your feet um, an awful lot more. You don't have as much time to put stuff together. But you've got great technological um, tools at your disposal. So there's an awful lot of positives about that, but um, you've got a lot. Of, you've got to have a lot of energy these days, an awful lot of energy, I think. Definitely, and I suppose getting jobs has changed a lot more as well with the likes of LinkedIn and Indeed and things like that. How did was it much different when you first started out trying to get jobs? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we did. Yeah, there was no social media at all, and it was very much. I mean, I, you know, I, I, the only job to say that I've had was for. Two years with HTV West when they, they you know they they brought me down and did that screen test with me. I mean I was with them for two years, and after that um, I've been purely freelance, so you know obviously self-employed. Um, and in terms of the way you, you found work, I mean you know you you sent showreels off to people and um, you know letters and CVs, and it was all very much you know it's you know before social media, so it was. You sent out your, your um, DVD, you sent out a, a covering letter that went with it, you rang people, it was all sort of very old-fashioned, I suppose, in a lot of ways, rather than, you know, opportunities like LinkedIn, where you can immediately connect with people now. Um, I mean, it's, it's wonderful these days, it really is wonderful. I mean, you know, I, I, I love it, the fact that I can, you know, send somebody a direct message via you know, Twitter or, or um, on Instagram, and, and, you know, you've got that sort of instant connection there. Um, and the other thing is, is, A, it's a lot cheaper because it means you're not sending stuff out to the post all the time. And you're 
send off DVDs and everything. But it, it also is that instant connection that you can make with people. The only downside of it, I would say, is that obviously everybody can do it. So an awful lot of employees will get inundated these days. So again, that comes back to that thing of making yourself stand out a little bit from the crowd. So, you know, it might even be that you connect on social media, but you say, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to send you um, a computer file, if that's all right. Can you have a quick look at it and, and sort of see what you think? Just pushing that extra little bit every time to make you stand out from the crowd. Uh, but yeah, it has changed a, an awful lot. It really has. It's much more immediate these days. I noticed you've got a great showreel as well. How important is it to have that visual portfolio, essentially, to send off to employers and show what you have done already, rather than just saying what you can do? Um, I, I think it is important because particularly with employers, who are looking for somebody to be able to hit the ground running. They want to know that you've done, you know, if you haven't done their program necessarily before, you know, how, you know how to handle a live situation or a, you know, breaking news story or something like that. So it is really important to do that. I mean, I would say when you're putting a showreel together, it, there can be a temptation. I mean, you've got to keep it sort of fairly compact and, and, you know, interesting so it's moving on all the time. But also, don't just show things like, I mean, I've seen people's showreels and I mean, very impressive they've thrown themselves out of airplanes and you know gone swimming with sharks and all that sort of stuff which is very impressive but actually all of that will tell an employer is that you know you're probably fairly fearless um it doesn't tell them whether you operate well under pressure whether you can do a live situation whether you can, can cope with a breaking story so with showreels i'd always say keep it sort of pretty relevant to what you're doing keep it short and snappy and interesting and yeah, the wider the portfolio, the better. But if you're starting out, obviously you're not going to have a hugely wide portfolio. So don't worry about that. I mean, you know, just try and put down as much as you're able to. Um, you know, I mean, these days with things like YouTube and whatever, people have, have got to, you know, they can film on the cameras and things. You know, there's much greater opportunity to show, well, this is what I'm like on camera or this is what I'm like on air with a, a, a microphone. What I would say is don't ever, ever, ever be tempted to make things up. Don't be tempted to film something and, and then pretend you've done it for a, a broadcaster um, because you know they'll they'll find you out immediately and as soon as they don't trust you you're you're, you're sunk basically. So don't worry too much if you haven't got too much. Just make sure that what you've got is 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 good and it's interesting and you know you might do something like at the beginning of it uh, your show reel introduce it yourself or something like that. Something that'll make it stand out from just everybody else's that, that'll land up in somebody's inbox. Um, but yeah, it, it is important. And for me, it's still important. I mean, you know, I've been very lucky in the fact that I've worked to a, an awful lot of broadcasters, so most of them know me. But there are still people, you know, I mean, I had to do some stuff for NBC, one of the American broadcasters. Um, and you know, they contacted me via the Premier League, um, but they didn't really know what I could do beyond the reporting and presenting I was doing for the Premier League, which was essentially sports news. So they asked me to to send a showreel because they needed to know that I was I was going to be able to handle the situation that they wanted. Uh, so it's still very, very relevant. And, you know, I just think it, it reminds you of what you're able to do as well. I think it gives you a little bit of confidence. I mean, I watch mine back every so often, you know, every six months or so, and I think, right, I can edit that a bit better, or I'll make that thing a bit better, or I'll add this to it. Um, but it gives you that confidence of knowing what you can do as well and, and reminding you of what the situations you've been in and that you can handle it. It's certainly evident that you are comfortable in all live situations because I noticed on your showreel you had yourself presenting on huge sporting events to the camera, but then you also had you presenting in front of the whole of Cardiff City Stadium when Wales came back from the Euros. That was a great night. That was a really great night. How, how different is it presenting in front of a camera compared to in front of a huge crowd? It's really interesting, actually. I mean, the first experience I really had of it, had of it was um, I presented Sports Personality of the Year for BBC Wales for a number of years. And we used to do that in front of a live audience in St David's Hall. And we were making a programme, so essentially you had to speak to camera, but obviously you had to keep the audience sort of interested as well. So it's, it's, that's quite an interesting art of sort of um, not just focusing solely on the camera that's in front of you, making the audience feel as though they're going along on the journey with you. So that's that's an interesting situation to, to, to try and sort of find your level with. But um, I mean, it, 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 Cardiff City Stadium, it was, it was just absolutely brilliant that day. I mean, obviously what has happened in the Euros um, and the sort of buzz about the place that they come through on the, the, the open bus tour um, and then into the stadium. And it, on the camera, I think you can feel the energy of what's actually happening in the stadium. And, and you know, we, we again, get in, Joe and myself, you know, because we co-presented it. 
uh, it was that sort of sense of wanting the crowd that was there to feel that they were part of it. We were just making a TV programme, but we were very lucky because they made so much noise. I mean, that was very sort of atmospheric on the TV programme anyway, which was, which, was, which was great. But, you know, I, I really enjoyed I, you know, I do quite a lot of corporate stuff where I'm working to a, you know, an audience or, a, a, um, you know, a crowd or a delegate or whatever. And, and um, you know, it's nice to have that interaction with people as well. Um, because it's really looking at the camera and, and everything, but it's nice to sort of feel that you're actually having a connection with people. But I just love doing live stuff, Richard, to be honest. I really enjoy that. That's my, that's my favourite part of broadcasting, doing the live stuff. Do you sort of rise off that energy then with the likes of a crowd behind you? Yeah. And, and when you present on TV as well, there's obviously a huge crowd watching from home. You're obviously seeing the camera and your guests, if there are any. Do you think about how many people are ever watching or do you always just concentrate on controlling the show? Yeah, uh, to be honest, what I've always tended to do, because I think if you start sitting down thinking there's you know, a few hundred thousand people watching or, or whatever, I, I don't know, I don't know whether it's sort of, maybe you change the tone of your voice and whatever, because almost mentally you, you feel like you're speaking to a crowd. So I've always tended to avoid doing that. When I've been in a studio, um, either talking to a guest or talking directly to the camera, I tend to think as I'm addressing the camera that actually I'm addressing the cameraman, the cameraman who's standing immediately behind it. And I've tended to sort of, in my head, talk to them when I'm talking um, down the lens of the camera. Unless, of course, you've got another presenter in the studio within your ear and you're actually talking to them, you're having a conversation. But I think it's really important to make it as informal as, as possible, you know, in the right situation. I mean, there are times when you do have to be much more formal about, formal about things. But I am. Um, I think if you can keep it sort of conversational um, and a bit more relaxed, hopefully the viewer at home is a little bit more relaxed as well then, because they think, well, you know, we're just having a chinwag. And I've found that works for me, as I said, if, if I think, oh, I'm having a conversation with the cameraman or I'm having a conversation with the presenter who's in the studio. Um, and, you know, just, I mean, my people, presenters have very different styles. I mean, some people will be more formal. Um, some people are very, very relaxed. I try and get a bit of a happy medium with it, really, and, and sort of, you know, give it the seriousness when it needs to, but most of the time it's and it's also great to do this. You know, you, you, you feel like you're having a conversation. Um and you know I find that's the easiest way for me the way it works. And after HTV you mentioned you went freelance. Was it difficult starting out as a freelancer? Um it was a little bit because I hadn't got I mean I was only in my early twenties and you know I hadn't got that many contacts by that point. But I was really lucky because one of the um T V stations that I sent my show reel to uh, was Meridian, um, which was based in Newbury, Meridian TV, which was, which was the ITV um, region of, of the Thames Valley and down South Coast. So um, I was very lucky in the fact that they seemed to quite like my showreel and, and they gave me quite a bit of work to start off with. And I also started doing a few bits and pieces for the sports side of Sky News. So I was shuffling between Newbury and uh, London for a certain amount, which was, um, which was great. It was a really great experience. Um, and I think particularly with doing the Sky News stuff, the, the sports Sky News, I mean, Sky is such a, a huge organisation. Um, so people watching that, they picked up on things as well. So I, I managed to pick up some some other bits and pieces of work and then doing some stuff there for News 24 when they were still based at Television Centre in London because they'd seen stuff I'd done for Sky. Um, so it, it sort of snowballed from there, really. But to start off with, you know, as a freelance, it's a bit scary. It's a bit scary going out in the, you know, you're early 20s into the big wide world and thinking, right, okay, I've only got myself to rely on here. But if you're prepared to be flexible, I mean, you know, the sky particularly, I was prepared to sort of do presenting overnight shifts for them and, you know, I presented on Christmas Day for them and those sorts of things. If you're prepared, which when you're in your early 20s and your 20s, you know, you probably haven't got a family, so you can be a lot more flexible about things. And if they need somebody to go to Scotland or Cornwall at short notice, I, I would do it. So it's making yourself as, as flexible and as, as amenable about it as possible. And you gradually get to a stage where people think, oh, well, she's, you know, she's reliable, she's prepared to do things, um, we'll, we'll give her a go with it. And then obviously the more that you do and the more people see, it sort of snowballs from there really. But that's the advice I would say when you're starting off. It can be scary, but hold your nerve and just make yourself as, as amenable and as useful as you possibly can the organisations who do give you some work and um, you'll be surprised how it, as I said, it, it just builds up. You get, you get a bigger portfolio from that. And working with these big broadcasters as well, did they have different demands from you or did you always present the same? With um, 
Sky, Sky was very, very demanding in the fact that they wanted fresh. Sky always wants to be the first. They're a slick, really brilliant organization and they always want to be the first breaking the story. So they're pushing, pushing, pushing all the time. Uh, the BBC is a little bit more, because uh, it's obviously a public service broadcaster, so they tend to be a little bit more considered in terms of let's make sure that we've got this story, is, is we've got sources that, that confirm this story, a couple of sources that confirm this story before we start running with it. So that tends to be a sort of a slightly more considered part. Um, and yeah, just in terms of the way things done, I mean, Sky is much more, I would say, I mean, the BBC is changing, but at the time, Sky was much more of a sort of a, a tabloidy sort of broadcaster. So, you know, the, the way that you put things together, they, they wanted things to be a lot more, um, I hate to use the word jazzy, because that sounds so superficial, it wasn't, but they wanted, you know, a lot more use of graphics, and, and they wanted a real dynamism to, to it, whereas the BBC was a little bit more, let's consider this, and let's just, you know, keep the the tone sort of belly um, considered and, and, and just just being what the BBC are, which is, you know, making sure it's very, very sort of um, in-depth and, and everything checked. So that that was, yeah, there was a bit of a difference with, them, with that. And then obviously when I went on to work for the Premier League, um, Premier League Productions doing stuff for them, that was different again because that's, um, uh, they're international broadcasters. So you then have to be very much aware of your audience because with Sky, when we, I worked with Sky with News24, it was very much a domestic audience. I did quite a lot of stuff for BBC World Service on their, their television channel um, up in Manchester, um, but also with Premier League Productions, it's, it's an international audience. Again, you have to be sometimes a little bit more careful about the language you use, sometimes a bit more careful about the images you show. So, you know, but, it, but it's great because, you know, it, it, it pushes you as a broadcaster it makes you much more um, careful about what you do. You don't just sort of shoot your mouth off and, and go. Um, and it keeps you stimulated, I think. And I guess as well, being a freelancer, time management is really important. How did you manage your time from maybe working for Sky to working for BBC? Well, I was very lucky in the fact that the editor that was in charge of, of bringing freelancers to BBC at the time, a chap called Nick Dixon, he's a lovely, lovely, lovely man. And he was one of those people who would always say, right, okay, well, if you come to London, um, I'll give you a couple of days, consecutive days to work. And what I would then try and do is see if I could try and swing it, that I would, if I was in London, then a TV centre, that I could then get a couple of days from Sky at Isleworth, you know, after I'd done the stuff TV centre or the other way around. So, you know, you try and manage it a little bit that way, because as a freelancer, you have to pay, you know, your own expenses, your own travel expenses. If you have to stay over, you have to, it's very rare that you'll get your hotels or whatever paid for by the organisation. So I used to try and make it as cost effective as I possibly could. Um, by, you know, if I had to be in London, try and make four days in London rather than two days in London. Um, and when I was in Manchester doing stuff for them out there, you know, I would do, say, three days working for the BBC News Channel doing sport for them. And then I would try and pick up some corporate work out there. So you try and, you just try and manage yourself that way. Um, the one thing you've always got to be as a freelancer is that little bit better every time. So, you know, if you're going to be, you know, if your call time somewhere is, is 10 o'clock, then as a freelancer, I would always say get there for 9.45, um, you know, or even half past nine. Because if you're seen as somebody who gets there early, you're ready, you're prepared, you're on time, it goes an awfully long way, it really does. Um, you know, people, people don't really, they'll understand when sometimes things happen and you trip up and you're late for something, if it's been traffic or something like that. But generally speaking, if you're, early for every every shift that you're called in to do uh, or every interview that you're called in to do um, then you'll make an impression yeah, very definitely. And I suppose being early for things as well helps you be more chilled out as a presenter or reporter yeah because if you turn up late and you have to go on tv straight away well you, you might not be. As a journalist and particularly if you like te like live telly or live radio sometimes you like that thing where the adrenaline pumps in and, and, and you know you've got to prove your metal, prove your worth that, you know, you're not just somebody who stands in front of the camera and just repeats words. You can actually work in those situations. But you don't want them to happen all the time. You're right, Richard. I mean, it's much better to sort of be somewhere and be relaxed and ready to go and know all your comms are working and the cameraman has, has you know, made sure that your hair's not sticking up and, you know, you haven't got lipstick on your teeth and all that sort of stuff. It, it, it does definitely relax you a lot more if you are ready for things. But the occasional... Fly by the seat of your pants is, is fun. It's good fun. 
have you developed many skills throughout your career since since leaving university or did you sort of have those skills already no no not at all I mean you know I think you certainly develop them I mean the, the I suppose the instinct what do you call it discussing journalistic things as a, as a junior reporter or a junior journalist I would be taking everything at face value basically and, and you do learn those things you hone those skills over the years um, and I think also the things with the way you perform the, you know when you the more you do the job, that obviously you get easier with yourself. Um, you get more relaxed. You develop your own style. You find out what works for you, what doesn't work for you. Um, as I said, some presenters are a lot more formal. I tend to be a bit more relaxed because that works better for me with my style. Um, but you know, it's not everybody's cup of tea. You just become comfortable in your own skin, um, and you learn to read people. I think. I mean, you, you learn to. Um, I, I've got a fairly good idea now when somebody is, is, is fibbing to me or something. Um, I've got a fairly good instinct now and I'm not getting the whole truth here. Um, it's by no means infallible. I, can, I still make a lot of mistakes. But yeah, you, you, develop, um, you develop skills, you develop instincts and um, analysis, a, a, a certain sense of the analysis to know what you're doing and, and, and what's going on. And that informal style as well, I think viewers tend to prefer that to a formal style and as you mentioned you obviously do work in, informally I noticed in your show reel you were getting involved in packages like the likes of sawing wood and wrestling and things like that while while you were yeah. presenting <laughs> yeah no that, that was funny enough that was for a program called the whale show which we did for ITV which was um a sort of an arts and entertainment program and they wanted us to do a big um uh, we had an hour-long program to do about the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama because they, they were 60 years old and they wanted to do a big sort of um, a big program marking this. So we, we filmed that over several weeks going into um, the college and filming in acting classes and, and, and they decided that cause my co-presenter on the show was a chap called Matt Johnson and Matt they decided would go into an acting class and he had to do a romantic scene in an acting class and they decided I would go and learn how to stage fight. So that was what that was all about and they, uh, they taught me a few skills in terms of sword fighting and things like that so I could actually put that on my CV as well now uh, Richard I don't know whether it's um but yeah it was, it's, it's so fun at times to, to get involved with stuff because people don't want to think you just stuff shit to be done death they want to they want to see that you're a person now absolutely the people who've got to sit behind the desk and be formal and and you know that's the way they've got to present the news or do those programs for that sort of degree of authority but it's, it's nice to be able to sort of every once in a while say you know what I can stand up I've got legs I can do things and um, yeah, you have a bit of fun with it as well. Because you know, you don't want to be doing the same thing day in, day out, all the time. Because I don't think you develop as a as a presenter or as a reporter or as a journalist if you just do the same thing again and again and again. You know, it's it's good to challenge yourself and uh, just show people that you've got personality. And I think it helps as well to develop those positive relationships with the subject instead of just turning up and doing your job and leaving. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What I've always done, I mean. You know, with the Premier League, we tend to, um, we'd have what we call um, the broadcast preview period interviews. And it was something that every week all the club, Premier League clubs had to do, which was provide a player to do an interview. And it's a fairly in-depth interview as well. And I knew that there were a number of the players that didn't particularly want to be doing it. They had much better things to do with their time. They'd finished training. They were tired. They wanted to go home and see their families, that sort of thing. So my the point of view I would have with that was right, you know, I've got to treat them with respect, I've got to make them realise I do understand their situation and that I am grateful that they're giving up their time to do this interview. But equally you've then still got to be in a situation where, you know, you're not afraid to ask but difficult questions if it needs to be. I just always find, you know, it's 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 easier to be pleasant and, and work to get what you want and just be straightforward with people. Never try and trip them up or you know, try and get one over them, over on them or anything like that. Because they'll find out and they'll remember, you know, they really will. So, yeah, always pleasant, always polite, always respectful. But, you know, be sure and confident in what you're doing. And, you know, if you need to ask a question that's awkward. Um, but you have to show a degree of empathy with them that, that you know, you, while you have got to do your job and they have to realise you have to do your job, you're not sitting there as an automaton, not being aware of how they feel or what they think. It's almost asking that difficult question in a positive way. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And you can always do that. I mean, there's always a way of, of, of getting around it, you know, of sort of sometimes, and particularly in football, I think people look at managers and players and whatever, and they think they're earning megabucks, 
you know, why should we have sympathy for them? Well, they might be getting mega bucks, but they're human beings and they, they hurt and they laugh and everything as much as the rest of us. So I think it's just that building a little bit of a relationship, never letting the relationship get too much that you, you compromise what you're doing, but just building a relationship that's, that's mutual respect. And, and that very often develops into mutual liking. Um, and, you know, that makes the job that much easier again. And it can be a bit dry leading with a difficult question, but would you ask a comforting question maybe before asking a difficult question? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it depends on the scenario. I would say nine times out of ten, yes, I would. I'd probably ask a lot of questions to start off with before going into, you know, the hard stuff. Sometimes you have to say, right, well, I'm going to have to go straight in. But again, it's couching it in a way that, you know, people don't feel as though they're on the back foot. But yeah, if I'm doing a longer interview, but I do know have to ask some difficult questions, I'll, I'll generally start it with something that's a little bit softer um, and just get my interviewee a bit more relaxed. Um, but what I always tend to do as well is I will say to the majority of the beforehand, I'm going to have to ask you about this. Before we even start the interview, I'll say to them, I'm going to have to ask you about this. So I, I never try and land them with something that they're not expecting because you know, people don't want to be, they want to be wrong about things. Yes, there are situations where you might have to doorstep a politician or something where you will do that. But nine times out of ten, the more respectful you are to your interviewee and, and pleasant you are to them, the more you get out of them. Exactly. That's, you get the best responses. Do you have positive relationships with other journalists? Do you work well with other journalists? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd say by and large, the, the other journalists that I work with, you know, I have very good relationships with. I mean, very few of them. There's, over the years, I, I would say probably the number of other journalists that have put my back up, I can probably count on the fingers of one hand. Um, so by and large, they're, they're pretty good. And I do think by and large, they're very good in the sporting arena because we're all, at the end of the day, we might be sports journalists, but we're all sports fans. So very few people who are working in the arena of sports are coming from the direction of, well, I want to try and show somebody up or I want to get one over on somebody. You know, you're... you're the, the players that you're interviewing during the week are the players you're wanting to win at the weekend. So, you know, it's um, by and large, we're all singing from the same team sheet with that one. And I, I would say 95% of the other journalists I work with, yeah, they're, they're, they're great. And, you know, you'll do things like, you know, if one of them like, it has happened where somebody's camera is broken. Um, I mean, it happened to me with, with the Sky Sports reporter, his camera, uh, the cameraman, suddenly the camera just gave up. And he, he was panicking and, and we just said, I was working for the Premier League and we said, well, you know, I've done my life, you, you use our camera. Um, and you do this, you know, a little bit of cooperation between you. And often, you know, if you're chasing a story and perhaps you might not have somebody from the club talking about something, but you want to get some sort of comment on things, you know, you turn to your other journalists and get something from them. So yeah, by and large, I'd say the relationship is pretty good. Exactly, cooperating because the same situation could could happen could happen with you as well. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You never know when you need your friends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So has that happened? To, has that happened to you before your camera give, given up? No, it hasn't happened to me actually. I've been really lucky with that. Um, no, I don't think it ever has happened to me with, with anything. I remember um, I did have a situation where this was years ago. I was working for Channel Five. There was a Channel Five program called In the Net, and it shows how long ago it was. Alan Kirbishley was the Charlton manager, and Charlton we were were in the Premier League, and um, I had to interview Alan at their training ground and I got down and onto the South Circular Road to, to get round to the training ground and it was just no tail traffic it was an absolutely horrendous horrendous situation and I knew that they needed a clip from Alan for the evening news program um, prior to me getting the stuff for in the net and I was going to be doing the interview for the evening news program as well and I was very very lucky I mean I was in contact with one of the other journalists down there and um, he said look don't worry about it I'll get an We'll feed it down to Channel 5 for leaving you from. You just concentrate on getting here for in the net. So I eventually got to the training ground three hours late. Um, having said to you, always make sure you're early. Um, but I was very, very fortunate in the fact that Alan Kirbishley waited. And he, 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 I got there and I, I was flustered because, you know, you're desperate to get there and you're away to get people waiting. And he said, it's absolutely fine. He said, come on, I'll make you a cup of tea. Um, we had a cup of tea and then he did a great interview for me. So... As far as I'm concerned, Alan Kirbishley is one of life's gentlemen, he really is. But yeah, with the other journalists, they helped me in terms of getting something for the evening news programme. So that was, that was helpful. That was helpful. So these, you know, it's a bit of my, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Yeah, you certainly wouldn't get, get that type of thing often, but I guess that 
that's how important having those positive relationships are. How important do you think it is to support each other in this industry? No, and I, I think it really is important to, to support each other. I mean, there were main names, but there is one particular that's a journalist coming through who um, is learning the ropes and um, has been in touch with me. Sort of, we've been in touch quite a bit on social media, and she's looked for, for some support because there are areas that she's not, you know, not quite sure how to handle and situations where she hasn't quite been comfortable with them and she sort of has asked me for, for bits and pieces of, of advice on that um, and I think that is really important to, to do because you know I particularly like to mentor women coming through because um, you know I can't get to provide support to whoever needs it but it's, it's lovely to see the, the women who are coming through and just sort of say to them look you know do this do that you know you find your own way but you know if you try doing it like this or try doing it like that it might be easier for you and, and you know I get a lot of satisfaction from that but yeah, within my own peers as well, that, that sort of sense of um, feeling that you've got each other's backs, that you're not trying to sort of, you know, everybody's looking to try and get a scoop. But I don't think, certainly my experience has not been that people are climbing over each other to do that. People are far more inclined to say, you know what, you know, let, let's try and help out with this. And, you know, I've had other um, presenters say to me, well, why don't you speak to so-and-so, or I've just spoken to so-and-so, or could you give me so-and-so's number? And, you know, you work with each other that way. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm very careful about my contacts, and if there are certain contacts that give me their details and ask not for them not to be passed on, then I would never pass them on. But um, generally speaking, you know, we're, it's a very small pool, um, but it is becoming increasingly pressured. And I think young, younger journalists coming through today, I mean, their stamina is, is amazing, absolutely amazing. And I think probably they do need to have that support because, you know, you get home at the end of the day and it's a very, very, very tiring experience at times if you haven't to film your own material as well so yeah i think that is really important and it just makes for a nice working environment yeah that, that's a nice point as well about giving other females advice about breaking into the industry because on my undergraduate course in my year anyway years after i've had females on it but we didn't have any females on the course at that point thankfully now it's, it's growing a lot but what would you say to a female who's considering wanting to break into the sport media industry but isn't sure i say definitely do it do it because it's a great industry to work in um and if you love sport um it's it, terrific you know you get to talk about sport and meet sports people and watch sport and and you know I, I think it's a wonderful arena to work in it's not the easiest you know there's still going to be people who don't think women should be working in sport i mean you know i've had various messages sent to me and you know on twitter and other social media saying you know you shouldn't be doing it women don't know anything about it you're always going to have people saying those sorts of things i tend to let it you know wash over me to be perfectly honest these days because um everybody's got an opinion but the only opinion that really matters is um is your own and um the producer or, or the head of department who you're working for um everybody else is you can take on board but um or, or listen to but you don't necessarily need to take it fully on board so I, I would say go for it but you know you've got to work hard um, people work you know operate in different ways I mean I've tended to sort of say right well you know I'm not here to compete with the men I'm here to do my job and to do my job well and that's all that really matters um, I mean it's a lot easier now because people like Helen Rollison and Sue Barker and, and Gabby Logan and, and, and Claire Balding paved the way for all of us um, and made life a lot easier and I hope that by me doing it it's made it easier for somebody else um, you know and, and allowing them to sort of um, forge a path through with it sorry about the dogs in the background <laughs> uh, they're, uh, they're ready for their supper um, they're really ready for their supper <laughs> but yeah I um I, I would say I would say go for it if you think that's what you want to do then absolutely go for it but be prepared to develop a slightly thicker skin because you know there will be instances where things get said not not that much actually these days not that much at all but you know there will still get in, in instances where things do get said and you know just just let it wash over you and, and again as i said as long as your producer or your head of department thinks you're doing a good job they're the ones who pay pay the bills at the end of the day so they're the ones who've got to you know and it, it's important you know with your contacts i mean sort of whether it's the players or the coaches or the media people within organizations you know it's important that if they say to you well i particularly like this or i didn't like that that you have a, a, a decent discussion with them because obviously they're going to be part and parcel of what you're doing in the future as well but generally speaking i would say the things that come from that get shouted at by, by sort of crowds at stadia or, or 
things that come over on social media take it with a pinch of salt yeah there's a lot of trolls on social media is it best just to ignore them because after all they're just looking for a response yeah absolutely i mean you know my whole thing rightly or wrongly has been don't engage um if somebody says something and you know we've 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 all had things sent to us um that's their opinion they're entitled to their opinion doesn't mean i have to share it um i think the important thing again and i know it doesn't work for everybody but I tend to not go looking on social media for things people have said because, you know, it cannot, you know, if you're a sort of a normal person, you can be hurt by things being horrible, you know, people saying nasty things or offensive things. So I think I don't go looking for it, to be perfectly honest. You know, lovely to get nice comments, but take those with a pinch of salt to a certain extent as well, because, you know, if you let yourself get swept up in all the nice comments, it means then you'll always take um, notice of anybody's comment. And then if somebody makes a nasty one, it can floor you. So it's, it's just being a little bit level-headed about it, about all of it really. Um, and you know, th there are a lot of these people who send these messages out who would never dare to say it to your face. And I tend to sort of think, well, if they wouldn't say it to my face, directly to my face, I'm, I'm not gonna take any notice of what they've said essentially behind my back. <clears throat> now, as I said, rightly or wrongly, but that's, that's the way I deal with it. That's a brilliant way, way to look at it. So when you go to present a, a show or report on a live event, how much preparation would you do beforehand? I, I do it I make sure I'm, I'm properly researched. Um, I make sure I, you know, I, I'm, I'm across things. If a script has been sent to me, um, I'll make sure that I'm aware of the script. I'll personalise the script because I think it, you know, it looks an awful lot better if you're presenting a programme and you've brought some sort of degree of... of um, you know, you to it. I mean, your language, the way you'll say things. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll always do that. And I'll always make sure, I mean, you know, for example, a number of years ago, the BBC asked me to do, uh, present their uh, international bowls coverage. Well, if I'm truthful, Richard, I knew absolutely nothing about bowls, absolutely nothing whatsoever. But I had to be respectful to the people who were involved in um, the bowling situation, you know, because it has got a very, very loyal following. Um, so I just made sure that I, I knew what was going on and I, I was aware of the rules and I was aware of the personalities. You never have to, I think there can be a danger of over-preparing sometimes because if you're a presenter, people are not looking to get your opinion about something. You, you know, you invariably you've got pundits there, experts there to talk to about the sport and they're the people whose opinions matter. So I never feel... I don't, I think you, you don't want to over-prepare because there can be a danger sometimes that you try and blurb out everything that you know. And actually it's much more important to find out what they know. But I always make sure that I'm pretty well prepared about things because you don't want to be caught out. It's disrespectful. If you're in a situation where, you know, you are presenting a program and you've got to bring some authority to it, A, you undermine your authority if you're not prepped and B, it's disrespectful to the people you're dealing with. So yeah, always make sure. And, you know, as a journalist, you should be prepared to do your own research. You mentioned the bowls there. Have you had many other sports that you've had to report on that you didn't maybe know as much about? I think that was the um, that was the most left of field for me. I mean, I've done, I've, I've presented snooker coverage of the, the the Wales Open snooker championship and um, WABA boxing and um, golf. I did the the Wales Open golf for a number of years and. Um, Oh, I did a little bit of motor racing and things like that. I mean, you know, you can't be across absolutely everything because, you know, as a sports fan, there are certain sports you're always going to be more interested in than others. But no, I, I would say the bowls was the one where I, I, I knew very little and I had to come up to speed pretty, pretty damn quickly. Um, most of the others, I was sort of, you know, I had a fairly good idea. But that doesn't mean that, you know, I don't do my research as well because you, you have to do that because you're not going to know everything and you need to stay on top of, of stories and, and characters and strategies and whatever as, as, as they develop. And you've obviously covered a lot of big events as well, the likes of the Euros, the Rugby World Cups. What's it like to work on that big stage? Oh, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. It's a real privilege to do it um, because it's exciting to be part of it as it's developing. Um, you know it's a huge thing it's going to have huge numbers of, of, of viewers so you, know, you want to make sure it works really well for them so there's just that extra little bit of adrenaline and pressure that, that comes with it um and you know who doesn't want to be part of a big occasion like that i mean you know my husband's a lighting director and he does um, an awful lot of the big you know he's, he's done the olympics and um football cup world cups and things like that and you know he, he says the same thing you never get complacent about it or used to it 
there's still that thrill every time of, of, of doing it and, and feeling that you're part of something which is, is, is enormous, absolutely enormous. And there's a real buzz to that. And what's it like to be able to travel with the job as well? When you get to specific destinations, do you get to see much of the place or is it purely I've got to work here? You don't get to see a great deal of it. And it's not as glamorous as people think. You know, you are sort of sometimes in hotels sort of miles away from the venue and things like that. Um, you know, there's a lot of sort of toing and froing involved. I mean, you know, a couple of Commonwealth Games that I've covered that, you know, I, I went out to various um events but a lot of the time I spent in the International Broadcasting Centre because I was anchoring the programmes from there. I mean you know you, you, you get to sometimes get out and see a little bit, get out for a meal or something like that but you know there's, you don't have days where you're able to be the tourist or anything. You know you are there to work and, um, and you've got to get on with it but you know it's still brilliant to be in those places and to you know as I said be part of something there and you know there's, who's not going to want to enjoy that? I mean it's, um, it's a privilege to do it, it really is. And we've touched on quite a lot of advice, but is there a key piece of advice you would give to people looking to break into the industry, whether they're a student or whether they're looking for a career change? Um, I would say, I would say probably three pointers. I would say um, be determined and believe in yourself because you'll have people saying to you, oh, everybody wants to do this. And, you know, sort of uh, the odds are against you. Well, yeah, the odds are against you, but somebody's got to do it. So why shouldn't it be you? So it's be believe in yourself. Always be well-researched. Um, it's polite to your interviewees. It's polite to the organizations that you're dealing with, that you are on top of your game. And always be polite, always be respectful because I tell you what, it takes you a million miles. It really does. You know, it's we're all human beings and nobody particularly likes confrontation or very few of us do. Um, you get much, much more with sort of I like to call it that iron fist in velvet gloves sort of thing. You know, you're asking have to ask tough things sometimes and, and you have to be in tough situations, but deal with it as pleasantly and as nicely as you can. And I, I and be as professional as you can about that. I would say those are the most important things to do. Everything else can be learnt. But if you take those things into, um, you know, as weapons in your, in, in your arsenal, you're not going to go too far wrong. Some terrific advice there, Francis. Thanks very much for coming on the show. Very best of luck to everybody, you know, and, and keep keep at it because it's a brilliant industry to work in. And hey, I've managed to fool them all over the years and earn some money out of it, so why shouldn't you? <laughs> Thank you for listening to episode four of Rich's Sport Media Show. If you enjoyed, make sure to look out for the following episode. We're also on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook if you would like to follow for regular content.